Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today, we're going to try this again. It's Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. And by try this again, I mean the last two days have been technical difficulties and we have not been able to have the Mind Shifters Radio show. So, we are grateful to be able to be here. We hope other people will be able to join us. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's trying to join us and has success in it as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. And they're available on the website, whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, that will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. And I'm just going to check to see if I'm being heard. 618, can you hear the broadcast? Are you in a position to respond that you're hearing a broadcast? Or that I turned on the microphone? Yeah, you're on, Dr. Tim. You're, you're Thank on, you, Dr. Gail. Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for us. So uh, uh, if you have any comments, questions, answers, or testimonials for us, please give us a call, 563-999-3581, and press 1 on your phone, and or send an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or a question through an email from you, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that happened so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when people let us know what's working and what's not working for them, either in the use of the tools or in how we're spending time on these MindShifter Radio Internet shows. And if and when um, people are on the switchboard and verifying that they can hear the the broadcast again today, we might begin to go back and continue reading the way of mastery. Um, I did that on uh, on Monday for most of the show and it only recorded bits and pieces of it and people were dropping off and my voice was dropping out throughout it. So um, it's not of interest to me to keep going unless we have feedback that people are hearing me. So thank you for the text that it is working. And... um, So we'll proceed. We'll have hope, high hopes that the message is actually being heard. The signal is relatively clear. Um, I have made things available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website as a separate page for this this year's reading of the Way of Mastery. And so um, as this proceeds, if we get other good recordings, I will add them in subsequent uh, editing episodes in a way that keeps the pages smaller so they will load better and we'll have less errors when people go to listen to those files. So... We had a support group last night. Again, I have gratitude for everybody who chooses to join us for those. There will be another one tomorrow. And um, if you or somebody you know wants to join us, all the information you would need to join us absolutely free is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And please remember, if you're using that, there are separate login info pages for Tuesday and Thursday as they have different um, login IDs. So I will put out the, the, the usual comment, question, how can we support you? What's on your mind? What questions or comments do you have about what we've been doing so far? And 
today since I'm getting the message from two different people that we can actually be heard. I, if I don't get a hand up, I will proceed into uh, going back to reading the um, the way of mastery. And um, see what we can do about marching through that that whole book again this year uh, in a way similar to what we did last year. So with no hands up, I will assume that uh, it's kind of silent voting for continuing in the way of mastery. Because of what happened um, the last couple days, I am going to uh, start reading Lesson 2 as though I hadn't done any reading on it. Because on that day, on Monday, when I began reading it, it was very frequently interrupted by uh, the recording cutting out or the signal cutting out my voice or other people's voices. So I will mention that even though there were technical glitches, uh, I edited most of them out, and um, the recording of Friday's show ended up being a an impromptu summary of the first lesson of Way of Mastery. So if you want to review or if you're just joining us now and want to get a little bit caught up, I highly recommend the audio file from that show, which was November 3rd, and again, that's available on the uh, MindShiftersAcademy.org website. Top menu item now is Way of Mastery, Lesson 1 with Commentary. So, Lesson 2 in Way of Mastery. They've chosen to title this lesson, You Create Your Experience. And the text reads, It is with great joy that I come forth to abide with you. It is a great truth that I come often unto many. But because of what you've learned in your world, you have often believed me to be a figment of your imagination. The voice that steals quietly through the space between your own thoughts you tend to think is but an illusion. And yet, I say that I come unto often, I come often unto many, many people. And I come not alone to communicate with you, to commune and communicate with you. There is in truth a host of friends that come to create a vortex, a circumference of energy. We come as you hear these words and you let it into your space to set that tone. And if you would well receive it, there are many friends unseen by physical eyes that have come forth to contribute 
to and support this communication. You might ask, why is that important? The answer is that always, in each and every moment of your experience, you, as a soul, you, as a divine spark of consciousness, you are deliberately choosing to create forms of communication. What you perceive is communicated Always, you communicate with the raiment that you place upon the body. You do it with your gestures. You do it with the sound of your voice. You do it with the very culture and the time frame in which you incarnate. You are constantly and only creating forms through which you communicate. Communication is the attempt to rest in communion with creation. What you are choosing to perceive, to believe, and to accept as true will be radiated through you and through your communication devices, which includes your body, the body. And this is happening that you might transfer your perceptions to another, that they might know who you are, and which voice you are committed to. Think about this. Later on in this book, it's going to say, choose only love, teach only love. Well, how do you teach only love? A little bit later on, it says, you teach only love when you choose to communicate only your loving thoughts they're in full awareness that you're going to have all kinds of thoughts that aren't loving. And yet you can choose to teach only love by the choice to share only your loving thoughts. What are you committed to? What voice are you committed to? What perceptions are you going to create and claim as true for you? As you do that, you're communicating to everyone and everything, who you are and what you value. Guy Finley once gave a whole series of talks about how you may not realize it, but you only do what you value. And so when you move yourself into thoughts of anger, in that moment you are valuing your anger. When you move yourself into thoughts of depression, in that moment, you're choosing to value the depression over everything else. If you want to know what you value, look at what you think, say, and do. It's, it's being expressed. And that's the same wisdom from Guy Finley as is coming through the way of mastery here in Lesson 2. Lesson 2, the text goes on and says, I have often said that the body is a teaching and learning device. And all forms of communication affect the process of teaching and learning. When you arise in the morning, the first thought that makes a home in your mind 
is what you will act on. You may stretch the body. You may smile. You may frown. You might be filled with peace. Or you might feel the weight of the world. These things come not because you have perceived them outside of you, but because you've allowed them inside in the depth of your consciousness. And the depth of your consciousness remains pure and undefiled and radiant beyond all boundaries forever. Now, as that thought makes a home in your mind, you literally begin to transform the communication device called the body into that which carries, expresses, and reflects what has come to make a home within your mind. Remember, please, that the mind is not where the body is. The mind does not abide within the body. The body does abide within the field of your mind. This is quite the stretch, and I believe it took me several years of hearing this before I would soften enough to even let that be a possibility. As a person who was raised in this culture by very loving yet very logical, very concrete-thinking parents, it was an enormous stretch for me to think that it was possible that my body exists within the field of my consciousness, not the other way around, that my mind or my consciousness is existing within the body. As a matter of fact, Evan Alexander was this you know, neuroscientist, brain surgeon, I forget exactly his title, and he wrote the book about his near-death or near-life experience. If you're Dr. Michael Rice, he calls it a near-life experience. And he talks about how, as a scientist, he actually believed that consciousness was nothing more than the product of the random neural firings of the brain. He taught it. He believed it. He lived his life as as though this were the case until he had a situation where infection filled his brain and his whole spinal cord and shut his brain down so that he was technically, for all intents and purposes, with any way that they can measure it in the Western world and their science, he was dead. And he had a very prolonged, vivid experience which he remembered when he revived. And he revived in, in ways that what they know in medical science says is an impossibility. It was, it was literally a miracle that he would come back from that. But not only did he come back, he came back with this vivid memory. And so it was in reading books like that that I finally decided to soften and let in the possibility that my mind is greater than the body and the body abides within the field of my mind. 
So I fully expect that some people who are hearing this are going to have great difficulty wrapping their mind around the thought that your mind is not contained within your body, and yet the field of your consciousness contains your body. So the text goes on and says, communication is creation. These two are one and the same. And therefore, if you would create well, ask only this. Ask, quote, what am I committed to communicating? Ask, what will my creations express? Ask, what will my creations convey to others? Be aware that what I seek to convey reveals what I believe is the truth of my whole self. And it conveys that to the world. Close quotes. Next paragraph I have marked up several different ways in this book. Therefore, beloved friends, as we begin to focus on, to refine, to deepen, tend to mature in the way of the heart, it is wise to begin at the beginning. The beginning of this pathway is simply this. You are as your creator created you to be. You are an infinite focus of consciousness. Your very sense of existence is nothing more than a feedback loop or a feedback mechanism so that you can witness the effects of the choices that you are making. Where are you making those choices? In the very deep, deep depths of your mind, capital M mind, which rests right alongside the capital M mind of the Creator. We talked about Michael Singer in one of his podcasts. And in there he says, how do you live in bliss? You shift the focus of your awareness off of your psyche and your personality and your history and your traumas. And you shift the focus of your awareness to the truth that as a human being, you are an ocean of consciousness. And you learn to focus your awareness on that true nature as an ocean of consciousness. Here in Way of Mastery it says, you are an infinite focus of consciousness. The text goes on and says, therefore, in each moment of your existence, which includes this bodily incarnation, you are literally allowing through deliberate choice, though perhaps unconscious choice, you are literally allowing through the choice to bring forth a vibration or a thought, a vibration of creation. And you are communicating it to the world in an attempt to experience communion with all life, whether that is with a friend or a parent, a 
child or a beloved, or the clouds that pass through the sky, or the earth itself. Each gesture, each thought, every way the body breathes, all of these things are going on constantly, and they are communicating or revealing the effect of what you have allowed to make a home in your mind. Understand well, the way of the heart requires that you allow yourself to rest in the simplicity of this truth. Quote, I am pure spirit, undefiled and unaffected by anything or anyone. I am given full power to choose and therefore to create my experience as I would have it be, close quotes. So as I read this book, every once in a while it says, please, it's followed by something. It says, understand well, and it's followed by something. And I like to go back to those and reread them. I approach this work with the way of mastery as though not a single word is a toss-off or is accidental. So here is that again. Understand well that the way of the heart requires. It doesn't just suggest. It's not just an invitation. If you want to be engaged in the way of the heart, a requirement is that you allow yourself to rest in the simplicity of this truth. You are pure spirit, undefiled and unaffected by anyone or anything. You are given full power to choose and therefore to create your experience as you would have it be. And if you are not willing to rest in the simplicity of that truth, you are no longer following the way of the heart. If you are choosing to pour your mind energy to, into thoughts about money you owe or how you don't really want to be in the, in the role of life that you have right now, whether it's as a business person or a family member or a parent, when you're pouring your mental energy into that, you are not resting in the simplicity of this truth. And you're probably blaming outside circumstances and others and life situations for things that you don't like in your life. And if you want to get onto the way of the heart, onto that pathway, it requires that you allow yourself to rest in the simplicity of this truth. You are pure spirit, you are undefiled, and you are unaffected by anyone or anything. As pure spirit, you are given full power to choose and therefore to create your experience as you would have it be. Now, it's quick to say, as the text goes on, this isn't the I that you think you are. This isn't the egoic part of the mind. 
for that is just one of your creations. And that came along somewhere down the line. It's a very, very small part of your mind. We're not speaking of the eye that thinks they're a body and that they're a certain religion or that they were born in a certain part of the planet or that they're a certain gender or that they're better than somebody or worse than somebody. In this work, we're speaking of the eye that is pure spirit, that knows it exists, even though it doesn't know the time of its own creation. You are pure spirit, and therefore to know, quote, I am only this. And in each moment, regardless of what I believe I see, regardless of the feelings that arise within my awareness, I and I alone am wholly, totally, 100% responsible for my feelings and the things I see. No one has caused them. No great force in the universe has made this perception well up within my consciousness. I have selected it. Close quotes. The text goes on and says, well, I mean, let's go back to that paragraph. It says, listen, I get it. When you hear this, you're going to say, that's not how it seems to me. I don't have any choice about these negative thoughts buzzing in my mind. I don't have any choice about that immense debt. I don't have any choice about how they're going to sell the apartment that I'm renting and I'm going to have to move again even though I don't want to. And yet, because your essence, your sea of consciousness, you are a sea of consciousness because you are an infinite focus of consciousness. There is this other part of you, this true, capital S, self, pure spirit part of you that has not been caused by anyone or anything outside of you. The text goes on and says, just as you would go to a grocery store and choose what you'll have for dinner and then go home and experience your creation, so too do you choose each experience. When you choose a perception, you lodge it in your mind. And then it expresses itself through the body, through the environment that you create around yourself, and through the friends that you would call into your awareness. Every aspect of the life you live is the symbol of what you have chosen to experience and therefore chosen to convey to the world. The way of the heart begins with the acceptance of this simple truth, quote, I am as the creator created me to be. Made in its image, I am a creator always, close quotes. What then would you ask your creations to communicate? Why do you make the choices you're making? You all know perfectly well that sometimes you seem to be compelled, and the ego wants you to believe that you're compelled, to certain actions and certain feelings and certain choices and perceptions and statements. 
and you're compelled by something that surely exists outside yourself. This text and teaching offers that is never true. In no circumstance is there anything of creation that has the power to dictate to you the choice you will make. I've talked about various situations where extreme physical constraints exist. Roger McGowan, thrown into jail, thrown into death row in Texas for a crime he didn't commit, thrown into that situation where he's being actively abused by the guards, and he ends up becoming a spiritual teacher and writing a book with the help of Pierre Pratervand, from his writings, his spiritual teachings, his spiritual understandings, and he says the very same thing. This is never true. In no circumstance is there anything of creation that has the power to dictate to you the choice you will make. Even in some, some place as intense and abusive as death row in one of the worst prisons in Texas, in, in this country, which is in Texas. It's echoed in a book like Man's Search for Meaning with Viktor Frankl. And he's in a concentration camp during World War II. And he's choosing for love. Even though lots of people that he's in there with, friends, family, neighbors, are choosing to be negative. They're choosing to steal food from each other and report their fellow detainees to the guards for minor infractions just so they'll curry favor with the guards. And when you choose for love in circumstances like that, you might get beat up. But even getting beat up doesn't have the power to make you choose for hate or for fear. So this text goes on, and the next section is is titled, Peace Flows from Alignment with the Mind of the Creator. And the text reads, Therefore, the pathway of awakening, we call it the way of the heart, must start with the decision to embrace the truth that is true always. So here's another statement of the truth that is true always. Quote, I am a creator of all that I think and see and experience. I am free always. Nothing impinges upon me. Nothing but the thoughts that I have chosen to hold within. Nothing imprisons me but my own perception of imprisonment. Nothing limits me at any level or dimension of experience except that which I have chosen. Now, I've had people say to me in my office, easy for you to say, sitting here in this nice comfortable office, you clearly have enough money to pay your bills, etc. Easy for you to say, 
that nothing is impinging upon people. And yet, as I mentioned, there are people like Pierre Pratervan who befriended people like Roger McGowan and helped him express his choice for love even through situations where he's being actively abused in a prison. And I think it's important to hold on to the, the knowledge that he's in the prison for something he didn't do. You know, I don't know how much more you can say uh, life is doing this to him. And yet, within that context, he offers four or five statements throughout his writing that get to the very heart of this work. Everybody, everything that happens in my life is a ch- an opportunity for learning. I'm always able to choose for love over fear. Nobody has control over how I'm going to use my mind energy. These are slight dis- restatements of those messages from his book, Messages of Life from Death Row by Pierre Pratervand in conjunction with Roger McGowan. And that's, to my eye and ear, exactly the same message that we're hearing in the way of mastery. One more time. The truth that is true always stated in this second lesson, the bottom of page 13 if you're using the big blue book, I am a creator of all that I think and see and experience. I am free always. Nothing impinges upon me but the thoughts I've chosen to hold within. Nothing imprisons me but my own perception of imprisonment. Nothing limits me at any time or dimension of experience except that which I have chosen. Close quotes. The text goes on and reads, The way of the heart, then, embraces all things, trusts all things, and eventually transcends all things. Why? Because it begins by assuming complete and total responsibility for what is being channeled through it. You serve as a channel. From the moment you arise until the moment you arise, even during your sleep, you are choosing that which flows through your consciousness. The goal that we seek has never changed. It is, in truth, a journey without distance. It is merely the return to where you are always so that you might begin anew to create deliberately, to create clearly, and to create with the perfect knowledge that if you are experiencing something, it is because you are the source of it and for no other reason. The way of the heart is not about a way of gaining power. It is not a way in which you will finally be able to make the world be what you want it to be. That is 
so powerful for my Western mind. Because as I fight against these other statements about how I don't experience anything that I haven't chosen, etc., and nothing impinges upon me, etc., the Western mind says, oh, good, if I've got all this power, I'm going to go out and create a fancy car and a bigger house and the perfect partner, etc. And it's almost as though, in, in anticipation of these thoughts, the book says, okay, Let's be clear about this. The way of the heart is not a way of gaining power. It is not a way in which you will finally be able to make the world be what you want it to be. It's not about manifesting this or that in outside stuff. The text reads, rather, it is that pathway in which you learn to transcend and to dissolve from your consciousness every perception, every thought which is out of alignment with what is true. Here are some examples of what's out of alignment. The thought of death is out of alignment. The thought of fear is out of alignment. The thought of guilt is out of alignment. The thought of eternal life is in alignment. The thought of perfect fearlessness is in alignment. The thought of peace is in alignment. The realization of innocence is in alignment. The thoughts of joy and of forgiveness are in alignment, and they reflect the truth that is true always. For although you are given complete free will to create as you choose, the soul begins to learn that what it brings that what brings it the highest joy, the highest peace, the highest bliss imaginable, is that which flows from the mind of the creator through the mind of the channel, the soul, and it expresses itself in the field of experience. It is for this reason that the Creator's will is that you be happy. For your happiness is found in choosing to restore your perfect alignment with the only voice for creation. You are free to create as you choose, which is why so many of us have created war, anger, arguments with family members over petty issues, how to carve the turkey. This We're free to create any way we want. Earlier this morning, I had a download of sorts, a mini download, and I wrote it down and sent it to myself. Here's that, that thought that came to me this morning. Whatever thoughts you have about someone else, are purely for your own enjoyment, period. If you don't enjoy them, you're free to change those thoughts to something you do enjoy. Let that sink in. Whatever thoughts you have about someone else, they're purely for your own enjoyment. They have no validity. They have no external validity. 
they don't change anything about the true nature of you or the person you're thinking those thoughts about. They're purely for your own enjoyment, and if you don't enjoy them, you're free to change them. Here's the paragraph from The Way of Mastery. Although you are given complete free will to create as you choose, so you can create gossip, negative judgment, bitterness, resentment, pride. You're free to create, completely free to create as you choose. And at the same time that is true, the soul begins to learn that the thing that brings it the highest joy, the highest peace, and the highest bliss imaginable is that thought structure, that energy, that creative force that flows from the mind of the creator through you as an open, wide open channel, through you the soul, as it expresses itself in the field of experience. The text goes on and says, the way of the heart is that pathway that begins with a commitment to healing and awakening and is founded on the premise, the axiom that we have given you, quote, you are perfectly free at all times. Everything that is experienced has been by your choice, and at no time has there been any other cause, close quotes. You're perfectly free at all times, Everything that is experienced has been by your choice, and at no time has there been any other cause. It seems simple, and yet, what soul doesn't know resistance to this idea? If you bake a cake and it turns out well, you say, I did that. But if you bake a cake and it turns out very badly, you think, well, it must have been the flour, or it must have been the temperature of the oven. Surely there was something that caused this creation to not be what I would truly desire. It takes great courage and great faith to look upon all your creations, your thoughts, your feelings, your manifestations. Look upon them with love and with the innocence of a child. Remember, this is the third of three steps from the promise. What's the promise? We read it before we even began reading Lesson 1. It's a message from Yeshua. And he says, if you would awaken, if you would be committed, and, and you want to be only what your Creator created you to be, then you have to put down on the altar of your heart, with every breath, you have to put down everything you think you know, you have to put down everything you think you need, and you have to look lovingly upon every place that fear or any of its stepchildren has made a home in your mind. So it takes great courage and faith. Here, later in Lesson 2, it says it takes great courage and great faith to look upon all of your creations, all of your thoughts, all your feelings, all your manifestations, everything you've ever thought, seen, heard, felt, said, and done in your entire life and look on it with love and with the innocence of a child. That's what's being called for 
if we want the correction to be made, if we want to awaken, if we want to be on the way of the heart, we have to, as Guy Finley would say, actively remove every excuse to be angry, bitter, resentful, negative to ourselves or anyone else in judgment, in negativity, in contraction, we must actively remove from ourselves every excuse to be negative because if we don't, Guy Finley says, we'll be able to justify any level of abuse. So this is what's being called for as we look upon all of our creations, all of our thoughts, feelings, and manifestations, everything we've ever heard, seen, thought, felt, said, and done in our entire lives, we need to be able to look at it with love, with compassion, with allowance, and acceptance, and surrender, and trust, and with the innocence of a child. The text goes on and says, for example, to plant a garden and have all of those plants wither and die, and yet you smile and say, well, I planted this garden, and I alone have done this. Well, I'll get a little hungry here, so I might as well go to the store and get some food. Now, you might ask, why is this important? Because a long time ago, the soul began to create the perception that it was something other than what it was created to be. And the voice for ego emerged within the garden of that consciousness as the soul, that deepest aspect of mind that you have all known, as that soul began to identify with a voice that was other than the voice for the creator, that voice has led you to believe that your creation's determine your worthiness this is not the case but do you know that feeling do you know the feeling that what you've done in the past in hurting an animal and hurting another person and lying about something that that has created your worthiness this teaching says it has never changed your value or your worth Nothing impinges upon you or your value except the thoughts you hold within. Nothing imprisons you, nothing impinges upon you except the thoughts you give value to. The text goes on and says, Therefore, if what you create is not up to snuff, it means that you, in the core of your beingness, are some kind of a failure. But I say unto you, in reality, failure is not even remotely possible. Why? Well, if you plant a garden and the seed does not turn into a beautiful flower, but it withers and dies, that experience is a creation, and you've done it. And because all events in space and time, everything you experience, because all events in space and time are perfectly neutral, there is in reality never failure. The only failure seems to occur within your own consciousness when you believe that it is not acceptable to receive and own 
and embrace your creation with love and with innocence. When you believe that, that's the experience you create for yourself. Instead, you can choose to look upon it, to experience it, and to recognize your perfect safety in doing so. For it is from there that you can decide whether to continue in that form of creation or whether to think differently and to approach things differently. That is where the catch is. The part of the mind, that part of your mind, began to teach you a long, long time ago, teach you what to accept as acceptable and what to not accept, what to take responsibility for and what to deny responsibility for. And that conflict creates the illusion of separation. When taken to its extreme, one discovers that your hospitals are full of those in deep depression, paranoia, and the feeling within the being, within the the human mind, of feeling alienated and alone. Helplessness, hopelessness, despair, anger, hatred, these are all symptoms of a fundamental delusion that has occurred within the depths of the mind. It has occurred because there's been a long history of having cultivated the skill of listening to the wrong voice. In this work, the wrong voice is the voice of ego. It has taught you to judge, to pick, and to select what you will be responsible for. The more you move into that consciousness, the harder it seems to ever hope for a chance of transcending the sense of separation, the sense of conflict, the sense of loss and lack of peace. So I will stop the reading there for today, hoping that The sound quality is decent, that we haven't been interrupted. And we've got about five minutes, four or five minutes, if someone wants to comment on the content or the quality of the recording, whether or not things are being heard today. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we'll have a quick chat. And as time allows, I will get this first hour edited and uploaded to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. It will probably be on a page titled Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 so that that uh, page doesn't get too big. I might go all the way through Lesson 3. Yes, welcome. How are you today? How are you today? Well, you? Very good, thank you. And I just wanted to let you know that one, yes, I heard the whole program uh, after I got in on it this morning, 
And uh, two, that I really appreciate the readings because when I'm reading this text myself, I'm working to decipher the words in my mind as to what they mean, and I'm trying to interpret everything and uh, listen to my voice and everything. Uh, So it's really nice to have someone else read it because then all I have to do is sit back and listen and allow the the um, uh, little ahas, so to speak, to arise in my mind, the connections that I need um, for this moment in time. So thank you very much. I'm really enjoying the reread. I'm really enjoying the reread. And, you know, feel free to access the recordings on mindshiftersacademy.org um, especially last Friday seemed to me to be a good impromptu summary of that first lesson and, yes um, I was just thinking about that <clears throat> uh, I think this is my go to book Dr. Tim <laughs> well you wouldn't be alone I'm aware of some people who are in a study group for it and they've said, well, let's go on and do some other things, and they go on to something else, and it isn't too long before they say, boy, I sure hope this is over soon so we can go back to Way of Mastery. So there's a lot of of quality, a lot of depth, a lot of gentleness, a lot of loving messages here, so it's not surprising to me. So thank you for the comment and and the uh, feedback. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I'm glad we finally got back on. (laughs) And you were very clear on the reading. Oh, good. I'm very glad to hear it. Well, have a wonderful show. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Not weekend yet. (laughs) I'm ahead of myself. Anyway. Welcome to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll see if Michael gets in okay as a second host. Hopefully, that'll be without a hitch. Be smooth. Change that to proper speech there. And uh, we've been, we have, uh, okay, I started to say miss being here for the last two days, but that's kind of negative speech too. We felt the absence of not being on the radio show for the last two days. So if you have a question, we got plenty of texts, you know, saying, where's the show? and things like that, so we know that you were attempting to get in, and we appreciate your patience. Actually, Blog Talk still has a banner on the switchboard that says we're aware of issues connecting to and running live broadcasts. Our engineers are hard working on a resolution, so hopefully we'll get through this second hour. So welcome, Michael. Looks like you got in okay. Thank you, dear heart, and yes, we're thankful to be back on for blog talk and hope they get their their problems resolved. Uh, you know, I think uh, they've got a pretty good track record. We've been with them 12 years, five days a week, and 
what's this, maybe four times in 12 years they've had a problem. They've never had one that's gone over a day, over, you know, one show and gone blank. But So I still right. appreciate them a lot and the service that they give us and uh, facilitate it and for us. We have being a hand up already. Connect all over the world and let's talk to the hand. All right, it's Miss Susan, 610, you're on the air. <laughs> Hi, friends. Oh, yeah. It's Welcome, good to have you back. It's good Thanks. to be back. I have a question about something you said quite a while back, Michael. Um, I sent you that uh, a draft of a devotion I'm putting together for my vestry meeting. And you don't have to answer it or anything. In fact, it doesn't exist in its present form. It's that old form anymore. But you once said that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and and did a lot of processing before being able to be on the cross uh, in the way that he was. And you, you, I've often thought of him, I mean, I still do think of him as enlightened in a way I can't describe or explain, but it occurred to me that he mustn't have been fully enlightened in order to feel such pain if that's what he was feeling in the garden and sweating blood. So, and yet the next day he was fully clear and ready to be, to accept the crucifixion so that he could be a healing force even when he was under such attack right and to turn it turn it around on the cross to see the innocence of the two men beside him and the crowd and to right there i think that moment he demonstrates what he did he had to have meant about forgiveness which was to see everyone as innocent and so i wondered if you could comment on the processing he might have been doing in the garden? I know that's kind of a large question, <laughs> but you've obviously well, thought about that. You know, you know, my take would be that, um, first of all, when you use the, you know, that he was under attack, I don't believe he was under attack at all. I, my take okay. would be he was in a state of willingness to do his work and allowed his own structure to open at a whole new level. And, you know, there, the state of the attitude toward Yeshua today is one of, well, and I think it's kind of a, a point of religious pride, like my God's better than your God, because, you know, we're the only one that has the perfect one that is the actual son of God and is God. Uh, but then when they say to Yeshua, you know, they call him perfect, and he says, Who, who's perfect? None of us is. So... To me, what he's acknowledging is, I have work to do. You know, they want to say sinless and all of that, but but he's saying, I have work to do. And, and, and remembering that the word sin is simply an archery term, that means off the mark. He's got genetics, he's got a past, and he's got a history. And my take is the Garden of Gethsemane is where he goes to do his major detox and move out of his own physiology the final remnants of his own personal trauma 
of mm. the trauma of his parents, their parents, their his bloodline, and and for mm-hmm. me as a naturopathic physician, physician, when I look at that, I hear them saying he's in a healing crisis. His body is cleaning out the depths and what would that look like i mean it could very literally look like sweating blood when you look at the kind of healing crisis people can go into and then as he completes that process he then looks into the collective pain of humanity and says i'm prepared to take this on i'm prepared to assist in cleaning this up and that got clear to me in the experience i had it goes back probably about a year ago now and i've shared it with you before i've shared it with the the audience before that where i was doing a uh, a still point breathing process and my eyes are closed and i was instructed to look downward turn my eyes downward and and there was this field of darkness that i could see that was just so vast i couldn't imagine you know how far it would reach and it was speckled with lights an uncountable number of lights and I asked what I was looking at and I was told that I was looking at the darkness that my genetics my family system was still carrying unresolved and that there was a request you know it's like well why am I looking at this you're being asked if you will help to process that to take that energy on allow the darkness to process through you and bring it to healing bring it to the presence of love which for me was a big, easy, grateful yes to be able to do that, to to say yes to that question. And that's what I see Yeshua doing in the garden, is he's saying yes to exactly that question that he's being asked. Mm -hmm. Not not to, I mean, there's a big guilt trip that, you know, so-called Christianity has laid on on human beings and that we caused all the suffering it's all our fault and he had to come to a time right. that comes from a long history of blood sacrifice and you know the only thing that will sacrifice the of course the king in the world the the guy who's running millions of people's lives for profit the only thing that will satisfy him if he's offended is somebody else's blood uh, and and I don't believe that that bears any relationship whatsoever to the creator and there is one point where you know the creator ostensibly in the scriptures is talking to humans says the smell of the blood of those bulls you sacrifice for me I can't stand that in my nostrils stop it I don't want your sacrifice but you know here's a whole so-called religion that's based in yeah. we got a sacrifice and you know right. I mean I've, I've actually on occasion visualized Chi going into a, a, a center where they teach this kind of stuff and saying, okay, here, I got a bowl of blood. Let me throw it on you. Let's see. You know, we're going to wash you in it and watch what people do. I mean, they don't think about what it is they're saying. And mm-hmm. they certainly don't accept that particular passage where the creator says, I don't watch your sacrifice. It's not about, no. I'm only going to be happy yeah. if you kill somebody. It's just, but, but it's great for keeping people in guilt and fear. And people who are in guilt and fear make great subjects, and they make a lot of money for somebody, for whoever's on the top of that pile. Mm-hmm. And for wow. me, I think that each of us, as we do our work, is more capable of being the space should we run into someone like, you know, the the thief on the left side of him, the thief on the right side of him, the repentant one and the non-repentant one, you know, uh-huh. is there anything in us 
that either of those thieves can resonate that's unlike love, that could bring mm-hmm. us to a state of some sort of judgment. If so, then that's our next piece of work. And so right. what I hear happening with Yeshua in that case is he's able, because there's nothing in him about thievery, and there's nothing in him about the thief who's you know unrepentant, there's nothing in him to be resonated that would block him standing as a space of pure, conscious, active, present love which to me is the whole, you know, it's like the recovery of our human lives, the whole enchilada to clean it up and be able to stand in and as that space. And ultimately, that's what's going to redeem, that is, free people from the generational patterns that, you know, when we look down through history at the craziness that people have done, I mean, the uh, and we don't even have to look very far in history. We can just look at last week, you know. We can turn on the news today and we'll find it. <laughs> so if, if that's what humans are doing, is is there anything in me, when I look at that, when I hear that, when I see that, that inhibits me staying present as active love? If there is, then I need to pick up the worksheets. And when I can look at anything be with anything and not step out of that connected space as a human being. And I was, I was actually thinking about this this morning and how misled the world has been that everybody's talking about loving each other and loving themselves and loving God and God loving them. And it's all a fraud, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not what we do. It's not, and we can't do it. But we can, the, the whole, to me, the whole objective is to do what Yeshua did in the garden, to shed everything unlike love, so that the only thing left was his created essence, which then can honor the creator, and that is function as love, rather than, you know, just by setting a goal to love self, another, or God, means that one is now locked into perception and locked into the, the mind of insanity, the mind that is simply a reflection of carbon-based memory rather than the mind, the alternative mind, which in the scriptures they call it the mind of Christ and nothing religious about it, just that there is the mind of love in us and it's our birthright to access it and live out of it. And there's, you know, Paul makes it really clear, you know, it's the mind of Christ in you, and that, that is that you have yours and I have mine and he has his and she has hers. And he opened and connected that and said, look, guys, here's how it's done. Mm. And I was actually, you know, I'm still working on that whole uh, thing with the Middle East and Job. And I was listening to another uh, presentation. I've been you know, just sorting through stuff on YouTube University about Job and listening to all kinds of opinions and such. And it's interesting. I've, I've probably listened to 20 different videos. Not one of them has brought up, you know, everybody's about, you know, Job was, you know, it was so terrible. Nobody, you know, no, no, and God. And, 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 and I mean, some even say it was God, you know, uh, processing his own unconscious, that that's what Job was about. But I haven't heard one that says, and Job came to the conclusion of what his problem was. And it was he bought into fear. 
that which mm-hmm. I fear most is coming. I mean, not one has even come close to it. And the, the latest one I listened to, which was just this morning as I was out working the compost, was a guy who's he's really committed into this. It has to be by faith, not by works. There are no works that can do it. And, I mean, he did about a 20-minute dissertation on Job, and every third sentence was, see, see, you just have to have faith. See, you just have to have faith. It's like, you know, it's garbage. Yeah. Don't listen to the man and what the man said. He said, here's the work you need to do. And that's when half of the disciples, you know, turned tail and ran and said, too hard a saying and would not do the work they required to. And I think they made up this whole faith-based thing and threw out the actual teachings of Yeshua. And to me, it's time to restore them. Is faith an important thing? Absolutely. And do you have to do your work? Yeah, without it, it's dead. It's like, but so many people are, and I think that the giving people the comfort of, you don't have to change, really. I mean, I've, there are actually people out there I've heard saying, oh, well, you know, as long as you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then, you know, you can even go out and kill somebody, but you're saved because once you're saved, you're always saved. And it's like, I think there's great comfort of people who don't want to face what it is they're doing in their lives, doesn't want to deal with their past or their family history or their own personal trauma. I think it's like it's an easy game. All you have to do is say the magic words and gee, and, and at least pretend you believe. You know, I mean, but real belief is better, but you can at least pretend. And, and even if your motivation is, is fear that you're going to be burned, you know, then, you know, that's good enough. It's like, no, I don't, I don't. I don't think that's true. I think that's totally out in left field. It's just the work to be done. He said, here it is, and let's do it. And to me, in the garden, that's where he was able to do that. And he came out of there. He really did it. Yeah. And he He really really did it. it. He did the deepest, I mean, sweating blood. What a healing crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Major. That was the worst panic attack I ever heard about. Yeah. For sure. And then he goes through everything that he goes through. And, you know, Peter's there to stop it. And, you know, possibly he could have. And and when Peter declares his intention to stop what's about to happen, what Yeshua set up to demonstrate that if there's nothing in him that's based in death, then they can inflict death on him and he can't die permanently. Mm-hmm. And when Peter's like, well, I got a sword and we're going to save you from that. Yeshua, you know, directly calls Peter Satan. He says, get thee behind me, for you think in the mind of man, perception, constructs of the mind, out of the past, carbon-based memory, instead of the plan of God. It's like, get out of Satan. You're trapped in Satan, buddy. And and most of the world is trapped in, in, in Aramaic, the word Satan, meaning the resistor, one who misleads. As another interesting passage in Job, where, uh, you know, God is talking to Satan, and of course, today, I, I don't know anybody who's reading the word Satan as what it meant in Aramaic, and that is the resistor, one who misleads, and the creator, when it handed, my take is the creator, when it handed humans the ability to originate, it said, okay, now I'm going to be subject to you. Tell me what you want, and I'll produce it in the world. If you really amplify it with things like fear and dread, you're going to get it a whole lot faster, but I'll bring it. And so Mm. if we are trapped in the mind of the man, past, 
running a program of fear, then whatever it is we fear is going to be a direction to the Creator. So the Creator says to, to Satan, the mind of Job held in the past is, look what you made me do. <laughs> Here's God in, in that passage saying to Satan, you made me do this to Job. A lot of people are talking about how Satan did all that stuff. It's like, no, no. The Creator says, look what you made me do. There's only one actor in the world. There's only one power, and we have the ability to direct it. If something of suffering in our minds from the past is directing that power in us that said, I'll go within and bring about the results in your life, then we get those results, and, and we're actually directing the Creator. And if we turn it over to the past in our minds, then here's the instruction set, and the Creator says, I'll execute for you, you originate, and we originate pain and suffering, then, you know, Satan, the past in us, has told the Creator what to do, exactly what Job's talking about. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen one scintilla of that anywhere in, you know, I've gone through a, a number of, you know, from fundamental you know, perspectives on Job. I've listened to a couple of rabbis. I've listened to people who are in the midstream. And, you know, it's, it's like nobody's got it. It was all Satan and look what God did. And Job had no, he was always just innocent. <laughs> and they totally leave out his, his really simple statement. Oh, I got it. Now I know what it will take to restore me. I've got to let go of this past in my mind that I fear will happen again. So does that get to where you want to go with what you're working on? (laughs) Yes, Michael, that was quite something. Yeah, I wanted to ask you along those lines, that was great. We have a man in our group who I swear to God has done a lot of his work and is quite clear out He said he has had two out-of-body experiences. And he said it's impossible to have an out-of-body experience if you have any fear in you. Now, we didn't pursue that too much, but he just said you have to be awfully clear. You have to be able to let the body go in order. You have to be clear and without fear to have... um, that experience, be able to get out of your body and still not die, but he had that twice. And so many of the things you say are sort of fitting all in together. But that is well, one of the my, I wouldn't, up today. Yeah, yeah I ahead. wouldn't quite agree with him on that. And the reason I wouldn't agree is because if you classify a person who disassociates mm-hmm. as having an out-of-body experience. And I remember, you know, when I was young, my mother was telling me about one time when she had something traumatic. She never did tell me what it was. It was going, what? It was a family thing. And it was so traumatic for her that she found herself up in the corner of the room that they were in watching what happened. So she was out of her body, uh, Mm -hmm. but disassociated, not, you know, my structure settled. It's okay. I can disconnect from it, and as an awakened spiritual being, I can move around the universe. I think they're, they'd be two different things, but uh, uh, so I wouldn't quite agree you have to be free of fear, but to do it as love and stay connected, I think, yes, I would mm-hmm. agree that 
you know, too much noise in the mind. Fear is just a noise that's going to intensify anything that uh, hasn't been resolved. That's good. That makes sense. Yeah, I can talk to him about this. He's very easy to talk to that way. Yeah, well, we're having, you know, the work of, I have two things I want to add. One of them is Diederich's lesson for the day, and Jeannie probably got it too. He says, um, well, he's quoting Dostoevsky first. She enjoyed her own pain by this egoism of suffering, if I may so express it, says Dostoevsky. And Diederich adds, I love the bluntness of the words egoism of suffering. There is a delicious redundancy in these words. How often have I not reveled in my suffering? And this is so relevant today. But anyway, how often have I not defended my right to be miserable and very quickly made you the cause? I just love this. And right now, I just think it's so applicable. We could correct some of our thinking in the world situation by stepping back and realizing we've created this ourselves. And I think many of us are agreeing with that, admitting that, that we keep fanning the wrong flames and the wrong fire, and we're going to have more and more of the same until something shifts big time, hoping Jesus' leavening will leaven the whole loaf there because going to take a while otherwise but um and i think yeah did you want to say something because i forgot what else i was going to oh, say okay well i was just going to add that um i think that hand in hand suffering and victimhood are an addiction they literally oh boy are oh, yeah. an effort to avoid contact with our true being and mm-hmm. it's a way to dissociate from those painful experiences that we don't want to feel or deal with. It's no different than a shot of whiskey. And you watch oh. people and they go under stress and they go into that victim gain and look what you've done to me. This is all your mm-hmm. fault that this is happening to me again for the 87th different time with 42 different people. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's literally an addiction. Compulsive mm. use of that victimhood and suffering to avoid responsibility and dealing with what's being produced by the mind. Oh, boy. So it's another, a whole other set of worksheets to to move out of that victim game. And, you know, in part, again, going back to Job, because I've been spending so much time with Job lately, that to me is exactly what Job did, was he moved away from victimhood, and he took responsibility, and that's what shifted him from all of the loss that he, his yeah. mind instructed mm-hmm. had to happen because that's what he deserved. And when he took responsibility, could own that in the presence of love, that energy is going to be forgiven, and that's what restores him. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be restored, one of the big steps is you've got to move out of suffering and victimhood and take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, so, I, of course, that doesn't so mean good. blame doesn't mean guilt, yeah. doesn't mean fault, it just means this energy is mine, I'm a participant in what happens in my world, and I'm ready to take a hold of this little sucker and throw it out and forgive it. Right. Remove it. 
we've had a situation in my family. Our Jacob, my daughter's middle boy, went for right. some testing, and he, he's been diagnosed, don't talk to me about that word, diagnosed with autism and not the extremist kind, but definitely on the scale there of autism and bipolar. His mom asked him, how do you feel getting that feedback? And he said, I'm relieved because I thought so anyway. Then his psychiatrist suggested various modalities of working with himself because his his test scores in other ways were wonderful. 99% not, no impairment to his intelligence, Siobhan. verbal capabilities, very, very, what did you say? A savant? From the music I saw from oh. him, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a savant. Well, it's it's possible. He's struggling to fit in the world, and he's going to graduate, and he's got a lot of fear about not fitting in the world, and how is he going to make money and all that. But one thing I've noticed about my daughter and her new husband, he actually works with autistic children. He's a... He's a um, what do you call it? intensive intensivist for children? Oh, really? And he can, he can communicate with Jacob in beautiful ways. He said, you know, this is actually blah blah blah. He'll say, I'm proud of you. You're doing it this way, and we can tackle this, and we'll work on it together. And work with us. We'll work with you. And lots of loving stuff. Well, it, we found out during Sweet. all this that Jacob was diagnosed in such a way, and in the reports it reported that he is a user of alcohol and weed. I don't know how much. It probably shows in there. And he said, if I show you the rest of the report, you're going to disown me. And I thought, oh, I bet I know what's in there. And it came out, and his mother wrote to him and said, no matter what you do or did, we'll never stop loving you. We'll always love you. And his dad, his new dad, answered, yes, that is true. Just let's work together. It's so gorgeous, but these, these parents of this boy are just keeping him close. And he writes to three of us at once, my daughter, her new husband, and me. We all get the text and all get the reports, which means he's counting on us as a little support team. And I love that, too. And he's too. communicating. He's communicating. That's awesome. But the work, the work, you do in the, the, the wake-up sheets have these past six years have helped us all because I talked to my daughter about this stuff and I think we've all come around to understanding the, the, the nature of forgiveness the way Jesus teaches it that we see them as innocent we're seeing Jacob as innocent no matter what correction needed yes but not from a punishing mode and, of course, it's not Jacob that needs correction. It's his mind. It's his genes. I mean, that, when we become identified with the body-mind unit, we, we tend to become that, and that's where we lose our identity as love, as who we are. So oh, recognizing it's, it's, it's not Jacob. Jacob is a being created, in essence, by the creator, as everyone else, as pure, perfect being. 
And mm-hmm. if they fall into identification with what's going on in a construct in the mind about themselves and others, you know, yes, it was really clear, you know, in order for you to live, in order for you, Jacob, being to live, you, non-being mind Jacob, the one with autism and all the challenges, has to die. That has to go. That has to be removed. And mm-hmm. one of my thoughts is, you know, if uh, if the person you've loaned your Avison to is can part with it, that you send it to them, they're finding very... Uh, yeah, powerful so positive effects with uh with mm-hmm. with the Avacyn and people on the spectrum. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that. That is so interesting. I'll ask him if he'd be willing to to use it. You know, yeah, he it's, did use it's it so once. easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How he he just thought it was he said it nothing happened, it's bullshit. You know, I mean, it's going to take mm. a little bit of work to bring him around. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll send you some a couple of video links if you want to, you know, there's one in particular about moving from the sympathetic dominance to parasympathetic, which might, with his bright mind, might make some sense. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. it's heat that does that. And, and it's very well known in the autism community, especially with where it's more visible with kids that are extreme. Like, for instance, when they get a fever, they become settled. Those autistic kids that are really, you know, tend to violence and all of that, that they become much more centered, peaceful, and able to communicate with a fever yeah. and the heat. I'd love it if you... I know you sent me stuff... Flow. Um, before, and I might even have it, but you know which one. Yeah, so sure. if you've got it readily yep. available. I certainly do. He is doing a ton of research about medications and things and stepping away from taking pills because of that. He's doing a lot of studying. So this might just be the right time to introduce that info to. Perfect. Absolutely. I'm with you on that and holding space for him. And that's great that um, that the uh, stepdad is right in there with uh, with the autism work. I know. You might ask him about what he knows about heat and autism. Oh, uh, I will. Yeah, I'll send him the the video too. Sure. How about? Absolutely. Yeah. Send video. Yeah, Jacob even said about a month ago, he said, you know, I think I might actually have a dad now. Hmm. That was oh, so wow. Sweet. Oh, wow. That is monumental. You know, that is something? monumental to open the space to to have someone in that role that he can honor. Mm-hmm. That's that's his ticket to healing. Yeah, that's his. My whole body's just tingling away right now. I mean, literally, I am just one <laughs> massive tingle. That's his ticket Good. to healing. That's awesome. Wow. wow. Hmm. Very sweet. You have been such a powerful influence to keep this moving forward with so many people it's fabulous well 
I was thinking about purpose in life. My mind's mind thinks my purpose is to write music. And that may be so, but I think the purpose has morphed in the last eight years, morphed over to just supporting people in my family mainly. Uh, and so who knows, good. maybe a, maybe a whole opera about the healing of family. What it really means. Who knows who that could introduce healing to. That's a big fat thought I have to let sink in there. Mm. Anyway... Thanks, Michael. I, I know that my Honored and delighted. Stuff. I'm just so delighted to hear that uh, Jacob just voluntarily came out with that. It's like monumental. Yeah. He's he's. I'm counting on on that and his good in, in, intelligence to bring himself around. Sweet. Is um, your daughter's husband, is he currently working actively with kids? Yeah, totally. So something he always. does on an ongoing basis. So oh, yeah. He's, if, he's... if he would like, if he would like, now it would have to be because I know sometimes kids with autism can be quite violent, and so I wouldn't want to put an Everson at risk by just handing it to somebody and let their kid play with it. But if he wanted to work with <laughs> right. people to ch- test it out, I'll send him one to try out, to work with some kids and see what oh. he notices. I'll send him the, the, the video and then talk to him about that. And I've written down your suggestion. That's very generous. That's good. Yeah, he's he's the ICU intensivist there, total full-time, taking care of families with children in trauma. And he has a way of, he's a very, very effective man, partly because he can love them and detach and actually come home and be able to sleep. Amazing. Sweet. Well, what a great... Um what a great uh, dad to have show up on the scene. Yeah, in fact, Chris, my daughter's new husband, has an autistic uh, trans daughter. Was a boy, trans to girl, and is autistic. Mm-hmm. And he has helped her set up her life. She's older than Jacob, and she is now an engineer full-time. Uh, has has her own place to live and is just doing great in life. Fabulous. Oh. Yes. Well, all we need is healing for every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Yeah. Supporting people freeing themselves of carbon-based memories, judgments about themselves and others, whatever others' proclivities are. And just being that space. So, moving forward. And I'm sending you actually a, uh, a 
sent you a set of links, but I'm sending an additional one on re autism, and uh, the research has been done with the uh, with the uh, Allison. Well, okay, good. So yeah, I'm just looking. There. Thank you. I'll send this along. Thanks a lot. Delighted. The Field Graduate University IRB, I'm not sure what IRB stands for, I'm just looking at the study right now, approved the study entitled The Fever Effect. Do kids with autism do better when the device to warm their blood? Use a device to warm their blood, the effect of six-week treatment. Right. Well, that makes and total sense. I told you about my friend's autistic son who was sick with a fever and came to visit me and lay on my couch and was not at all autistic at all. He was just, he wanted lunch and we had a talk and I said, well, what gives? He seems perfectly normal. And she said, that's because he has a fever. Yeah, that's it. So the changes that they saw were in pragmatic language, behavior, parent stress levels, autism symptom severity, reductions in sleep, sleep problems. Wow. That's what they that is... they did. Uh, it's it's a preliminary study. It was I think it was uh, twelve families mm -hmm. uh, from ages four to seventeen. Wow, that is so interesting. And all so, the you, made, you know, rather than having to get sick and the body produce a fever, yeah. they can take a an autistic person and put their hand in it and do it two, three, four times a day. And you know, and you how see, long? I guess they don't they don't know how long the effect is of a session with Addison. I suppose it depends on the kid. I, I think it would be totally individual. You know, yeah. for me, what I what I see, you know, my take, because I see the Abbasan, you know, we're talking about Yeshua's forgiveness work from the mind aspect. My take is the Abbasan is literally a physical form of forgiveness. So over mm -hmm. time, what would be the effect on a child with autism? I don't know. This was a study with 12 families. Uh, and they're the arenas that they saw prop changes in. Yeah. So. so I just sent that text to you as well. Thank you. Delighted, delighted, honored. Thanks for the wonderful work you're doing in the world. You're welcome. <laughs> it's definitely time. Mm. Carry on. Thanks, you too. All right. Any other thoughts for you today? No, I'll just listen. Thanks. Okay. Well, you have a blessed one then. Thank you. You too. Okay. Appreciation. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie? Um, two things. One, I was looking up actually the scriptures that you were referring to, and when I click open the one for the little leavening, leavens the whole loaf, um, right. or whole loaf. They say lump. <laughs> but um, they give an, another thought, in addition to being critical mass, that a little bit of untruth, a little bit of false teaching, a little bit of impure thoughts also leavens that affects and transforms the whole person into that yeah, negative. I agree. So it yep. goes both ways. 
whatever the energy pattern is. Yeah. For sure. And we don't have another hand up, but we had several comments uh, on YouTube that I thought, well, maybe we could address those. Let's go for it. Okay. One of them says um, they had been watching the uh, Global Book Club from back in January, and they said, from what I understand, the word human means lower than beast, and nowhere in the Bible uses the term human. We are man, mankind, woman, and the use of human and humanity in this work is a lot. I very much respect the true use of words and meaning put forth by this work and could be interested if there was research done on the word human, could it be changed in the future conversations? And then they referred to that the word spelling is like spell, putting a spell. And so they they like the term, the way that you use human as being a real human being, but they wondered if there would come a time when, but that would kind of follow along with, will they ever change the meaning of the word forgive or the meaning of the word love? Well, you know, you shared that with me and I did some research and where they're coming up with the etymology of the word human being something lower than an animal, I don't know. I I actually sent them a note asking, I'd like to see your research because I went to two or three different sites uh, that specialize in the etymology of given words. And human, the oldest definition that I can come up with is as an adjective uh, of or belonging to man, of man, human, also humane, philanthropic, kind, gentle, polite, learned, refined, civilized. And so uh, literally uh, being earthling or earth being as opposed to the gods. So I don't know where they come up with this lower than, than animal. The aspect of you know, Adam Adamos being the clay, the earth, the ground, maybe they're tying that in. I, I don't know, but um I don't think uh I don't think their etymology is accurate. But I'll wait and maybe they've got some other sources that I'm not aware of, but I looked at three different sources to uh, come up with uh to look for that meaning and didn't find it. So that would be my thought on that one. You know, we are human, man being Adamos, clay, and then there's the created aspect. And, you know, the thought, just as I get quiet and listen to those thoughts, you know, the, the first thing that popped in was the story that you tell about the conference you took a bunch of kids to where there was a Jewish man speaking and he spoke about how the name for the creator was unpronounceable but that it sounded like the breath. And when you put that together with man and the creator breathed into Adamos, the red clay, the breath of life, Hugh, man, that sound of breath ties in very well for me I never thought of that before, but just getting quiet, as I said what I said, that's 
That's what popped up for me. So it would be funny if you sent that to her with that conversation, and uh, I'd love to hear from her. I, I hope she responds to my question or my thought back to her. You've got another question? Yeah. They had been watching What is the World on YouTube, and they said, right. I wonder if this view, which I'm assuming they mean your view or the Course in Miracles view, uh, is more materialistic or more spiritual. The activity of thinking is a spiritual activity, leaving its imprint on the brain cells. Is that right? Yeah, my take would be that the act of thinking, actually, we, we've talked before about how the ego mind has a cheap copy of everything that's real in the spiritual dimension and the cheap copy of thinking, which best definition I've been able to come up with is it's the ability for us as humans to hold love conscious, active and present in our minds, whatever shows up. If we can actually think, if we can actually do that, then anything that's in the mind that is incorrect or off base with truth is going to be instantly transmuted and there's a space for the true to come through. That's thinking. It's not cycling information in a database. You know, if I hit 2 plus 2 equals 4 on my computer, my computer comes up with 4, but it didn't think to come up with 4. It's a pure, you know, machine function. And so if I say something like, don't think about the color of your car, what resonates in brain cells, it's kind of a machine function whatever's in brain cells about the color of one's car. And so we can, if we're actually thinkers, we can dissolve the generational patterns that lead us astray, that come from carbon-based memory, that don't belong there. And we can then introduce something new directly from being. You know, one of the other faculties of, or, or two of them actually, would be intuition and imagination. So if we are actually in that thinking mode where love is present in our minds, then we can, one, with intuition, go directly to the actuality and bring in, gather information that's accurate and true from the actuality and not be stuck in the old generational dynamics of hostility and fear that come up and replace the actuality with this thing called perception. The second thing is that with so I can, I can go with my, if I'm awake as a human being and a thinker, I can bring in, and actually as I think about it, as I tap into it, all of these things are part of, or of the gestalt of being able to think, which is not something I'd ever thought of before, new information. <laughs> so with intuition, I can go directly to the multi-quadrillion-bit world and bring in information directly for what's actually happening rather than living in the realities of carbon-based memory. And with imagination, the ability to image in, to bring in something maybe that isn't in the actuality, but I'm able to bring it in brand new, I can introduce something new. That's another, would to me be another aspect of the ability or the, the, the state of being a thinker. It's not about rearranging, you know, 
um, the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> you know, information in mind, what was it David Bohm said? You know, most people, when they say they're thinking, are simply rearranging their prejudices. You know, it would be a thinker would heal their prejudices, would heal those things that are less than loving them, and originate a new world. And to me, that's the reason for doing this work, is to get enough leavening in the world, get enough people who actually become true thinkers and therefore bring a strong enough energy of that into the field of humanity that it becomes readily and easily available to all of humanity. The hostility of fear has been brought in big time, strong. You know, everybody thinks, oh, well, that's just the way it goes. But it's not the way it's designed to go. We've been tricked. We've been fooled. So that scriptural statement, the mind of man is not yet conceived of what lies in store, I think we're designed to be able to conceive it, but you have to become a thinker first. You have to be able to actually think rather than just cycle information. Was there another aspect to that question? Or did that cover it? I think that covers it. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, cool. So and you have another, have another one. Yeah. Um, another person, they had been watching the uh, book club as well, a, a different day. And they said, I'd love to call into the show, but I'm working. I uh, have a question. When we tell someone the answer to something and it did not originate from within them, they will see it as not theirs and then not take the advice. How does that memory action work? Well, the the sense I get with that kind of statement is if I have a packet of information that I believe is true and I've got somebody else who, and for me it is true. It may not be the truth, but for me it is true. And I try to make it somebody else's truth. Then they're going to reject it. There's, if, if there's a a different perspective on something and it comes up in the carbon-based memory system and fills conscious awareness, then that truth I'm trying to offer will bounce off of them. There won't be room for it. And if I can, let's say, for instance, rather than say, here's this packet of information, you need to accept it, if I can find a way to demonstrate that packet of information, if I can put it in a live term so they go, wow, my experience is, wow, that was really something, then it creates a space. You know, it serves a similar purpose to a parable. You know, in Aramaic, the word parable means parallel meaning. And what happens with a parable is you take something literal that carbon-based memory thinks it knows, and so you lay that out, and carbon-based memory gets to chew on that, and, and while it's busy, the parallel meaning, the higher meaning is available and is able to slide right in. And so one has a shift or a change of mind and goes, oh, I know what that really means. And so it becomes a personal experience, personal experience, even though it was sourced from somewhere else. 
So, you know, somebody oftentimes say, well, everybody has to make their own discoveries. Well, that's true to a degree, but if you can create a space and a situation where it's easier for people to make their own discoveries rather than, you know, I, you know I've, I've spent 50-plus years full-time, and, you know, a lot of times my full-time days were 13, 14-hour days, seven days a week. Uh, I did carry over in the early work that I did some of my uh, business uh, habits of, of working um, excessively, you know, probably one of, was one of my addictions. And uh, so probably having carried that on, but I wouldn't expect somebody who's going to spend, you know, 50 plus years doing those kind of days full time in this particular study. I feel blessed by the fact that the universe arranged my life so that it could happen and I made some of the right choices and in some cases accidentally fell into it that I got to do this. So, But yeah, everybody has to have their own personal discovery of that, their own direct experience of the, what should I say, the authentic excitement of integrating a new piece of energy that's based in truth. And we can create environments and offer people information where they can have that experience, where it's not just, well, I read this in a book, therefore this must be true. It has to ultimately become a personal experience, personally experienced. And to me, the, the key tool of being able to, when the, the mind has its, its mind made up, you know, you say people, well, you had your mind made up. There's no room for anything new. That's right. But when I can, when I understand how to forgive, whatever I've made my mind up to, if I understand the goal that's driving it and I cancel that goal, then the content, of carbon-based memory is going to collapse. What That which formulates my perception is going to collapse. Now I have, as the Course in Miracles says, a clean and open space within my mind where the mind of love can show up. And when that happens, I become a thinker. Ties it right back to the whole thinking thing. So that would be we, my take on that one. We have two more. And uh, one of oh, them cool. kind of leads into that. Uh, they had been watching the three-hour um, free Why workshop video. Right. And they made the comment that it had been 35 years since they had booked you at their church. And another person responded to that and said they'd been trying to learn true forgiveness for some time because they had an intuit um into it a great benefit because, uh, well, I'm not sure what they meant there. So their intuition, um, what I hear is their intuition was saying something to them about it. Right. But they're still struggling to understand it, and they would like to know if the other members of the church or themselves had implemented the practice over the past 35 years and what was the result. And I know we've seen people that do keep working on it year after year, and then we've seen some that let it go and eventually come back. But. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, over the last year or two, we've had several people who did the work. Actually, one gentleman was about 35 years ago and uh, recently did a personal code evaluation. And the way he had maintained the work that he did 35 years ago was just monumental. Like, And then we have other people who 
done it and let it go and they just backslide into, you know, they go right back to their original trauma-based scores. So it's, you know, depending on whether one continues to do their work. It's like if I've got an old car, you know, taking the average life in America today based in a culture of hostility, fear, guilt, grief, pain, drama, trauma, victimhood, and blame, which is pretty much, you know, the state of much of the public world today. Uh, if we use that as a comparison to, you know, I've got an old car out here. You know? When I was a kid, I had a 66 Charger. That was my second car. It was an awesome car. I would love to have another one. But I'd love to come across a 66 Charger now. You know, likely, you know, it would need a significant amount of work. And, you know, restoring something like that 66 Charger uh, that's been maybe sitting out in a farmer's field for the last 40, 50 years would take a lot of work. I wouldn't have it for a weekend and I have a nice shiny new um, 66 Charger. I'd spend money on it. I'd spend time on it. Probably have to redo the upholstery, the paint, perhaps rebuild the engine, maybe redo the transmission, probably needs new tires, maybe a crack or two in the windshield. You know, the stereo system sure doesn't work anymore. And then there's the air conditioning system and the vents had, you know, sitting on the field where rats had got into the, the venting system and ate the wire. So it's going to take some time to rebuild that thing. Anybody who's got a life based that's based in drama and trauma, separation, divorce, hate, fear, rage, guilt, and grief, victimhood, blame. It's going to take the same kind of dedication it's going to take for me to get that 66 Charger back on track. That's just what it's going to take. And some people might say, well, that's so much work and so much money. Who would want to do that? Well, you know, I don't I don't need to have the 66 Charger. It would be fun to have one again. It was a great car. I had a blast in it. <laughs> but, you know, when you realize that you get one life, what else is there to do but to do the renovation job on it, to upgrade it, to rebuild it? What else is there to do if one's living in pain and drama and trauma? So that'd be my take on that one. And we're down to three to minutes, so I'm not sure if we can catch this one in that amount of time. Um, they had been watching the first part of the Do We Have Free Will? And they said, the only thing is, we can't discount that we are also individual that influences their being, just as past teachings and ideas and others influence us. But most people confuse that part-time willpower as free will. We have no complete free will. Well, that sounds more like a statement than a question. And, of course, I answered the question in what if we got three different uh, programs that we did on that whole thing about free will. Four of them. So, four of them. So we spent four hours on that, and that would be the answer. You know, I, I would you know, strongly refute the conclusion, we have no free will. Totally, completely, 100% nicks that one. I, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I've, I've worked with and seen too many people who, when they're introduced to the tools, and they use their will to do their work, their lives change. They've made choices, and they totally and completely turn their lives around and change the direction of it. 
I've seen other people, similar circumstances, similar questions, similar enthusiasm, and they won't, they won't use their will. You know, one of the uh, personal code evaluation scales is on will, and will is the ability to manage your own mind. And we watch people who come to this work whose score on will is high, and they go for it and they move stuff. And we watch people whose score on will is down in the toilet, and they just never get around to doing it. They just don't do it. I've actually got one woman that I've been working with for about two years now, and that was like the number one challenge was will. And we talk about once a week, and... Okay, so how are your worksheets going? Oh, you know, I, I'm going to do them next week. And I'm going to do them next week for two years. And so that's the impact of will. Now, there are assignments in the personal code evaluation. They say, here's how to correct each of the 10 different areas, and in particular, this one being will. Here's how you do it. Here's what you have to do. But the challenge with that one, when will's in the toilet, is having the will to do what it takes to heal or bring forward the actual spiritual faculty of will. So that's the uh, the challenge in that arena. So I hope that answers and all of those questions. It does, and, and announce that you're going to be gone for the next four days. We're going to do Aramaicism. Oh, yeah, you're going to get a treat. There's a four-hour video set that I did with Dale Allen Hoffman back a couple of years ago called Aramaicisms, and Aramaicisms is a term that I coined to represent our efforts to restore the actual original Aramaic meaning of so many words that have been killed and cut out. Uh, up until tomorrow, uh, you had to buy that set of DVDs to hear that set. And uh, there are, I think, some little pieces of it on, on our YouTube channel. But So what we're going to do is take that out of storage, the whole four-hour uh, video. Uh, Jeannie's converted to an audio track, and so that will be playing for the next four days. And then hopefully as you're listening to it, if you have questions, you'll make notes. And then on you know, next week, we'll get into those questions. So please take a notebook for the next four days uh, with you to the show and track whatever thoughts come up, questions, or anything you have to share, any input you've got for it. And please share it with us next week, and we'll carry on the conversation. So thank you for joining us. Everybody have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.